I'm Robert Bordelon Pearson, and this is Blue Collar Bible Scholar, and we're going to do a little nuanced theology today. Um, a friend asked me a question, and I got to researching, and it's fascinating, because I, uh, I haven't looked at this stuff in a while. Uh, we are talking about miaphysitism, uh, which is a fancy word to talk about all kinds of stuff. It's in the umbrella of Christology. And uh, before I start breaking down too much crazy, fancy words, uh, the main thing I want to point out is how I approach nuanced biblical theology stuff. Um, my approach is not scholarly at all. It's just very practical, uh, because otherwise you wind up in this insane loop of... Uh, have you ever said a simple two-letter word like if or it or um, you know maybe in like then or at? Have you ever said those words like, 35 times in a row, and by the end of that, you're not even sure if you're spelling or pronouncing the word correctly, even though it's just like cat or then or apple or, or something simple. That's kind of how these theological arguments can be if you're not able to take a step back consistently and, and view the bigger picture of life and godliness. Uh, and it's insane. I don't have to quote a Bible verse. I think it's patently insane to think that when you get before Christ, the first thing he's going to ask you is put his hand on the big lever and say, Meophysitism or Deophysitism. And you go, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, he pulls the big lever like the, the Monty Python bit where, uh, you know, oh, what? Ah! He flies in the pit. Uh, that's insane to think that that's how you, you get into to heaven. He's just like, homoousios? He's like waiting to pull the lever to just drop you into hell because you said the wrong ancient Greek word that you don't even remember what it means entirely. You're like, wait, is that the good one? Ah, wrong answer! That's, that's an insane way to picture God. But that's the way these guys start to talk about or act like God is. Now, that's not to say that these issues aren't important. That's not to say that certain nuanced heresies can lead to some really heinous uh, actions in the real world. That's ultimately why we care about all of these little details and nuance is because, number one, they a lot of times will contradict the plain truths of Scripture, and then they... When you act, if you actually integrate them into your theological system, you start having these bizarre behaviors uh, that that manifest. Um, the Gnostics are an easy one to point at, uh, where they they get so insane about how the the material world doesn't matter that they start like having orgies and caves, um, and they're like, "But the material world doesn't matter, so I can sin all I want." And you're like, "I feel like you're off base, buddy." Um, the, it's these are important issues that at the same time you need to remember that I still have to go to work tomorrow. Um, church is next Sunday, you know, life moves on, um, dinner, <laughs> dinner's going to happen today. This is not the most critical thing that could happen in a day, but if you actually take time to research these councils, you'll realize that these are really big deals that also then result in uh, huge political changes and uh, changes in church structure across centuries. So, it matters, but not too much. Uh, so I approach this, uh, if you look at these theological structures and systems, people uh, basically have like a brain train, where they think 
in a series of logical consequences. Um, trains only run when they're on the tracks. And for this uh, analogy, the Bible is those tracks. Um, even in uh, Catholic circles where you know church tradition and what they've always taught, read the early church fathers, they quote scripture left and right. Everything they say comes right from a Bible verse. Um, even though they don't cha cite chapter and verse because that didn't exist then. Uh, they're always citing a Bible verse, directly quoting something to support their point. And it's um, also, they're, they're almost never putting forth doctrinal teaching. They're always doing an apologetic, which is a little different function. Um, so that's, that's the other thing to understand. Uh, we look at these doctrines to go, I have to believe the correct one. At the time, a lot of these doctrines are coming about because they're just trying to solve a problem. It's an apologetic tool to get somebody that doesn't agree with you or that says Christianity is stupid or that is an insane Gnostic heretic or something um, to, to get them to understand that they're wrong and dumb and uh, they should come to Christ and uh, get some Jesus and read the Bible. Just at all. So that's... That's the, the context for this. So as you're thinking of logical consequences of things, you have to make sure that your starting premise is exactly what the Bible says. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. You don't twist what's there so it fits what you already believe. you got to go, okay, this is what the scriptures say. How can we articulate our understanding for new people is, a, is another um, thing. Uh, so the other thing is... Um, because we're all kind of operating, especially in like the early church council and stuff, they're operating from what is the church already have always taught? What is the Bible already? Everybody agrees the Bible says this. The church has always taught this. They're trying to discover that and then find a concise way to articulate that for the future. To say, hey guys, this is how we're going to articulate the Trinity. This is how we're going to articulate the nature of Christ. Those sorts of things. Um... And uh, the, the last thing, human language is always going to fail. The last way that I approach this nuanced theology stuff. Human language is always going to fail to really capture the fullness. Um, the entire reality of God, of the way God made the universe, the way Christ came to redeem man, the really the full reality and existence of that fundamentally transcends our human grunty mouth sounds. Blah, 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 blah. We're never going to be able to encapsulate the entirety of the truth and reality of God. Uh, not that we can't, not that it's a meaningless endeavor. No, that's, that's insane also. God came to earth as in the form of Christ and communicated to us with human language and wrote down human language for us and humans talked to other humans in language. It's obviously good enough and more than good enough to um, effect salvation and uh, continuing walk with God. And uh, towards, you know, holiness, sanctification, all the, all the good fun stuff. But there's a point at which it's going to break down and the true reality of God is going to always exist beyond what human words can really get at and explain. Um, and they, they don't ever seem to show a, uh, an appreciation of that in the early church councils and, um, and all of the, the early doctrinal arguments and stuff. There's never an understanding that, hey, maybe we just don't have words for exactly what's going on here. Uh, and it's okay to sometimes just go, I don't know, and neither does anybody else. Mr. Pelfrey, very wise man. Um, so, with, the, with that understanding, this is important. Um, it is fairly nuanced. And at the same time, 
it's it's not really going to affect your daily life, but it will affect leadership and like the the full breadth of you know hundreds of years of the church history. It, it does matter quite a bit, um, but at the same time, like it's you, you can see from a, if you if you step back far enough, a lot of this is kind of saying the same thing in different ways. Um, and just having one consistent way of, we always express it this way because, I don't know, I can't, the reality of God, you know, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says the Lord, uh, Isaiah somewhere. So, neophysitism, uh, comes with the Greek words, basically one nature. Um, and it's, it's in contrast, I'm, I'm going to try and keep the bizarre, nuanced Greek language down a little bit, but whenever you're talking, that's oh, right, sorry, this is under the umbrella of Christology. Christology is simply explaining the realities of Christ that we see in the Bible. Because once again, this is always begins with Scripture. Scripture says Jesus is God. Okay. Scripture says Jesus is a man. Okay. Uh, God we typically understand as something that is not a man and is beyond. Man is typically something we understand as not being God. So having those two conflicting things together in a single person, uh, how? How to make do? How does that work? And then, so all of the arguments then sort of spiral out of trying to explain how that could happen. So Christology is simply your understanding of the realities of Christ. Um, the uh, Miaphysitism is held currently by the Oriental Orthodox Church, and I think the Coptic and, and some others, and uh, there's a, a lot of other uh, smaller, mostly regional branches of uh, the church that, that hold to this articulation. But it came out as a reaction to Nestorianism. Um, this guy's the patriarch or bishop of Constantinople. It's kind of a big deal. It's like 400-ish AD. And he's reacting. See, once again, it's, always, it's almost always apologetic, and then people try and make it doctrinal. And it's it's in that mixing of purposes, I think, where a lot of this miscommunication or arguments begin. Arius is a guy who ran around teaching that Jesus was a created being, because he couldn't wrap his brain around how you've got a man but he's also God. And so, kind of one of the hallmarks or red flags of being a heresy is it directly contradicts stuff that's very obviously in Scripture. Nestori, uh, not Nestorius, Arius is teaching that Jesus is a created being, which is not what the Bible says at all. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the eternal God. He's, he's, um, you know, the, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. He's an eternal being. He's an eternal, uncreated being. This is what you can see when you read enough Bible, and it's basically no one argues this, unless they're Gnostic or Jehovah's Witness. Um, or an Aryan. Um, not the race, but the... It's confusing, because a lot of the Aryans are... Aryans... I never really thought about that before. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Arius is a guy that started teaching that Jesus is a created being. This theological predisposition became very popular 
with Vikings and Norsemen and Gauls and stuff that wind up raiding Rome and whatnot, people that you would typically think of as Aryan. That's funny, but they're for two different, the names come from two different uh, places. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Arius is the guy who teaches this, his teaching later um, survives him in, in the form of Arianism. Uh, but it's basically a denial of Christ's full divinity, um, and he becomes a created being, not an eternal God and an equal member of the Godhead of the Trinity. So reacting to that, Nestorius is teaching everybody that, look, there are two fundamental natures. Christ is fully God and fully man. Now, it's important, Nestorius, this teaching, the heresy, it's labeled a heresy later, He's not, in his lifetime, labeled a heretic. Um, but it happens sort of after after he dies, everything starts sort of falling apart um, around him. Um, but in, within his lifetime, he's never labeled a heretic. And he's it, it's, it's clear that it's sort of, uh, they're emphasizing different aspects of Christ and sort of talking past each other is how it feels. But there are, there are some subtle nuanced differences, mostly in the, the language used here. Um, so we've got Jesus as one created being, uh, that's not really fully divine. Um, but I guess he's a dude. Arius is weird. Oh, we're not making this about Arius right now. So Nestorius, uh, emphasizes that there, Christ has two natures, full God, full man. Uh, but the way he articulates it and the way his followers later spin it up into becoming a heresy is they essentially teach that there are two Jesuses that just kind of like get mashed together for a little while, and then the human nature dies on the cross, and the divine nature just continues living in heaven. And they wind up making like uh, two Jesuses, the way they describe it, and it gets a little crazy and outside of the bounds of Scripture, where you have Christ. And there's this one Jesus, and he's fully God and fully man. I don't know. God apparently does his math differently than normal people, because one and one makes two for us. But for God, one and one and one makes one, and one and one also makes one, which is part of this three over here that is only one. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, at some point, you got to understand, if you can explain God, then he's probably not God. Maybe, right? So that's uh, essentially it. It's a uh, Nestorius. That's that's essentially what he teaches. The, the the heresy of Nestorianism, rather not Nestorius. Nestorius is emphasizing it as a reaction to Arius, and uh, it gets kind of goes off the rails to where they're talking about having two different Jesuses. Um, and now Miaphysitism then is a reaction to Nestorianism, and they say, no, 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 we don't have two Jesuses. One Jesus has one nature, and it is both divine and human. And they, they hang get hung up on, you know, because you have a person, right, the Godhead is, they're all one essence and one nature, but there are three persons, and it's one God. And the uh, Jesus, then, is one person of the Trinity, same essence of the Trinity of God, same essence of God, and also then has a human nature in addition to the divine nature that he shares with God. And it's our, how do we articulate that? Um, Monophysitism, one, it's, it's another word for one, meaning only. 
in Greek. Miophysitism is like number one. Um, so, well, that would be hen. But anyway, uh, Miophysitism is that he has one nature, and that nature is both divine and human. Monophysitism is he has one nature, divine, and the human nature is so minuscule and insignificant, it essentially doesn't exist. Uh, but it's there for technical purposes. But it, it's not really there. And so that's uh, the other option, the other camp is uh, Deophysitism, in which the Christ has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, and they are united as one um, in the person of Jesus. These are all kind of the same thing, but the nuance does matter. And uh, the main place where people get really upset about the nuance is because how this affects your soteriology. That's a fancy word to mean getting saved stuff. Um, how you understand the mechanics of us being saved. Right? You can read the Bible all day long. Now baptism saves you, not a removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, if you... Uh, you know, for by grace we are saved through faith, it is not of ourselves, but as a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Like we, the Bible says you're saved. Um, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, and Acts, these are all Bible verses, if you don't know. Don't recognize the, the phrases. They're, they're, they're in there. Just Google around them. You'll, you'll find them. Uh, 2 Peter 3.21, um, Acts 2.38. I'm, I'm doing them. <laughs> Acts 2.38 was the last one. That middle one was Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 9, and uh, 10. Well, yeah, 9 and 10 for it's your safe through works. It's not of yourselves a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works, which are prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Uh, everybody quits before they get to verses 9 and 10. Anyway, Awanas, it, it does some good. So, um,. Those are relevant because the Bible says we're saved. Once again, we're just trying to explain the mechanics of what the Bible says. And that's really where this argument starts to happen is if Christ is a fully divine nature and has no human nature, he now can't be our representative sacrifice and priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, as we see in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's it's like the entire book of Hebrews, not just one passage I could really reference. Um for this. There's a couple of passages, but essentially it says he knows our weakness. He's um, In Romans, there's a uh, talked about that uh, Philippians 2, I think it's, yeah, chapter 2, 4, um, taking on the, uh, have this self, have this mindset within yourselves, which is also in Christ. Uh, consider others more important than yourselves for Christ, having become a, uh, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient, um, even to death, death on a cross. I skipped some phrases in there. Um, so we, we know Jesus became a man, and it's integral to our salvation, but how does that fit, right? So soteriology, soteri, uh, soteros, 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 is the uh, the Greek word for save, salvation, saving somebody, sozo. Um, and then uh, ology, right, words, so saving, your theology of how do we get saved, right? We're, we're describing the mechanics. The Bible says Christ is human. The Bible says... Christ is uh, God, divine, full God, full man, um, and we're saved when we, we call on his name and uh, we do what he says, and we, we are you know obedient in the, in the faith. 
And so we just know that those things happen, but really this is how do we articulate the mechanics at, at play. Um, and then how do we teach that to other people who aren't kind of in the faith yet or, or young in the faith and kind of trying to wrap their brains around this too. So those are the main camps. Uh, Monophysitism uh, is sort of the fancy word for Arianism, but it doesn't necessitate that Jesus is a created being that is like less than God. It just says that he's, oh, that's right. So it's, yeah, he's, it's almost entirely divine nature um, to the point that his humanity almost doesn't exist. And this is almost the Gnostic position which was that Christ was only divine, and to the point of he never actually physically came to earth. He was just an illusion that everybody saw, um, which is like the way extreme end, and that's uh, basically all the Gnostics believed. Um, because matter is evil, created by the Demiurge. It's it's a weird stuff. It's weird stuff, man. Um, so, Miaphysitism, it's a reaction in Nestorius, um, and it's, it's primarily in the East, the Oriental Orthodox Church and some of the other smaller sects. Um, Monophysitism is one of the other lesser known ones. Basically, everybody agrees that that one's a heresy. Uh, Deophysitism is what's later adopted by the church um, that'll later split. Uh, so this is around 400 or so AD. Um, is in the 400s. And later in the 520s or so, it's like right on the cusp of the uh, the fall of Rome that the Western Eastern Church is split and become the, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox. Um, they, they don't call themselves that immediately, but they they become those. Those are the ones that exist today. That's what they're called today. Uh, but at this time, there's just one. They haven't split yet. Um, so both the uh, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and then by extension now, almost all Protestant denominations teach Deophysitism, in which Christ is said to have two natures and is one person of the Godhead. He shares the same essence with God, um, and he has two natures, one divine, fully divine nature, and one fully human nature. And those two natures are united in one in the person of Christ. So we don't have two Jesuses, but that Jesus is fully man to meet us in our weakness and fully God to save us and bring us to God. Um, and so the, the reason it's articulated that way is so it still makes sense that our mechanism of salvation is through Christ to the Father. Um, so, um, fancy words to Google later so you can do your own research and get uh, your bearings on all this. And once again, always try and read the original documents if you can. Find audiobooks of the original Church Fathers arguing about it or some of the heretics' writings. There are lots of Nestorian apologists running around that um, had writings. You can find audiobooks of stuff all over the place. Um, Ryan Reeves is an excellent YouTube channel for just like a basic introductory uh, wrapping your head around early church history and some of this nuanced theology stuff. And he gives a good mental framework to sort of approach um, looking at this uh, uh, ancient church history and um, early theological arguments and classical theological articulations. You know, how to how to explain the mechanics of what's happening. Um, but all this stuff sort of gets settled at the Council of Chalcedon, which happened after, like, two other councils where a huge bunch of drama was going on between the Nestorians and uh, Cyril, and the, the Pope sends a guy to go argue with another guy, and they're, everybody's trying to excommunicate each other. <clears throat> and they're holding a council 
to excommunicate this guy who holds his own council to excommunicate the it's a bunch of drama um, but it's the Council of Ephesus and then it later called the robber council because the council of Chalcedon Chals, it looks like Chalcedon um, C H A L C E D O N but it, Chalcedon um, they it's like the official one that the church accepts as canon afterwards um, but it split up a lot of the, the local factions and stuff, and then a lot of those divisions become political problems later on. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's a, lot of, it's a lot of drama. It's fun now. It was terrible for them then. Um, so, but it's, the, the Council of Chalcedon is what establishes today what's orthodoxy is the... And once again, these are just how you articulate the clear truths of the Bible, that Jesus is man, Jesus is God, um, our salvation is through him to the Father. He is somehow a human, right? Obviously not our uh, propensity for, for sin and licentiousness, but rather he got hungry. He ate food. Um, he got tired. He cried. He hugged people. He gave bros high fives. Like, uh, human in uh, the fullest sense of that, uh, in the best sense, obviously, because, you know, people, people are dumb. People are dumb. Um, um, but then also divinity in some excess of humans all being made in the image of God. Christ obviously had an extra nature. That's what's why he's in essence, God, he's full, um, in his nature, he's the son of God. He's all these things that the Bible just tells you. And they're like, deal with it. Um, John, John is famous for this, right? He's like, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And, uh, the word came into the world and he did not understand it. And the light was the light of men, the life of men in the beginning, he made everything like he just, he just tells you, he's like, ah, it's your, here's how it is. And you're like, can I get any details? And he's like, nope, moving forward. Keep going. Paul breaks everything out, but then it makes it easy for very intelligent shysters to start conning everybody and confusing people and making their own spin-off cults and sex. And it's, you, you got to pick one way and stick with it, either be technical or just high concept, let the details fall where they may. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the thing, is as you're thinking about this stuff, as you're playing around with it, remember that scripture is always your, your foundational stone. Um, oh yeah, so the actual date of the Council of Chalcedon, 451, Anno Domini 451, the year of our Lord, AD 451, um, is the the date for the Council of Chalcedon. So all the other stuff happens before that, um, as everybody's leading up to it. The Council of Nicaea, which is sort of the first real big church council, is at 325, I want to say. Um, AD 325, so it's about like 100 years before this one. And that's the one that sort of establishes the Trinity, um, and that uh, it specifically mentions um, under Pontius Pilate when Christ is, is crucified because there's an intentional historical element that he was a real man that existed in time and space and walked this earth. Um, that's, that's critical to, to Christianity. But, um, once again, it just articulates what the church has always taught. You're not adding stuff to the Bible. We're going just with what we can find in scripture and, uh, trying to articulate the mechanics for how that would even work. Um, for to make sense of stuff, and a lot of times it's because they're trying to have an apologetic towards a specific part 
and they're not making doctrine, they're answering somebody in their own place. Um, Augustine does that a lot. If you read Augustine, you feel like, oh, he's, he's really excited about Plato and Aristotle and all this Greek philosophy. We should incorporate it in our doctrine. No. Augustine's City of God is an apologetic work written against uh, Roman pagans that were trying to blame the fall of Rome and the decline on Christianity. And he's saying no. And he goes through Roman, uh, he, he goes through pagan literature, quoting Homer and Virgil and Plato and Aristotle and all these guys, to support Christian fundamental tenets, to say, your own guys say Christianity makes more sense than your own religion. Uh, and that's, that's fundamentally what he's doing as an apologetic work. So if you look at it and going, teach me, Augustine, that's not the point. If you're coming to Augustine as a very intellectual, well-read pagan, then you read Augustine and he's like, let me learn you something about Christianity, boy. <coughs> um, Plato basically says Christianity makes more sense than the paganism. So you can't appeal to Plato and say I'm wrong. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what he's doing. And that's why a lot of people will read him and go, oh yeah, Plato, Plato's legit. He has what's going on. And you start reviewing the Bible through the lens of Plato, way off base. Um, so for all of this, right, your brain train needs to stay on the Bible tracks to keep going in the right direction about the right stuff. Uh, so that's all I've got, right? Uh, Meophysitism is, uh, I think, an insufficient way to... Uh, articulate the divinity and humanity of Christ because it it winds up sort of muddying the waters. I think it's better to think of him as full uh, God and full human having those two different natures than united in the single person of Christ. But once again, it's, it's obvious that Christ is both God and man. And then how are we simply articulating that to people that get confused by it? Um, and then just understand that at some level, it's always going to be confusing. Like, we just have these grunty mouth sounds, and they're not really going to ever fully encapsulate the total reality of the being that created reality, and then also stepped into it as a part of his creation to rejoin us to himself and rescue us from our own sin and destruction. Uh, I mean, you're never going to fully encapsulate that. Um, in, a, in a level of like rigor and technical detail of language. You just have to understand that we're going to get close enough, um, and when you find yourself spinning your wheels over the little nuance, take a step back and uh, remember that it's, it's not that big a deal. Like It matters and it's important, but let's, let's not get so insane about it, right? Right? So, that's all I got. Uh, once again, don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. And uh, have fun, man. This stuff is fun. It should be fun. Um, and just, just come at it with that perspective of like, ah, it doesn't make sense. Let's keep listening to stuff until something clicks and I can understand what they're arguing about. Um, so, all right. Don't take my word for it. And uh, always do your own homework. Godspeed.